Today we're beginning a three-part series entitled Innocent. We're looking at Matthew chapter 27. The last fall we looked at the passages leading up to this where Jesus gathers to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. And in that moment, he, he reinstitutes the, the meaning of this meal. Today we call it uh, the Lord's Supper or, or communion. After that, Jesus goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane where he spends the night in prayer. And it's there that one of the 12, Judas, betrays Jesus. You see, Jesus was a person of habit. The Bible tells us that he had a habit of being present in the synagogue for worship. And the Bible tells us that he also had a habit of withdrawing to places for prayer. And Judas knew where Jesus prayed on the Mount of Olives in that garden known as Gethsemane. And there Judas would lead a group of soldiers by night to arrest him, to arrest him in the dark, away from the crowds who have never went along with this, who loved Jesus, believed that he was a prophet. And Jesus is taken by night to this sham of a trial that's been prepared for him. And in Matthew chapter 27, the Bible tells us about how this begins to affect Judas. In the chapters ahead, we'll be approaching Jesus' crucifixion. And when we think about the crucifixion, oftentimes in movies and in plays and in sermons, we've heard people really focus on the physical suffering of Christ. And there's no doubt that he suffered. I've, I've heard the people describe and I've seen depictions on film of the horrific pain of nails being driven through his hands and the extent to which he suffered. But the emphasis in Scripture was not upon the extent of his physical pain. The emphasis in Scripture is on the extent of his innocence. Here's what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. Jesus was completely innocent. He wasn't partially innocent or more innocent than most. He was totally and completely innocent. And so in Matthew 27, listen to how it describes the crucifixion. It says, and when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And here's the description of the crucifixion. And when they had crucified him, that's all it says. And when they had crucified him. You see, the emphasis of Scripture is not on the torture. Many people died horrific deaths at the hands of the Romans. In fact, the very day that Jesus was crucified, 
Two others were crucified as well, one on each side of him. But what's different about the death of Jesus is that like unlike any other person that's ever lived, Jesus did not deserve to die. He was completely innocent. First Peter chapter 2, listen to how the Apostle Peter would describe this. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins, not his sins, our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus was innocent. So the passage we're looking at today, we see a man named Judas who was not innocent at all and a group of religious leaders who were guilty, who knew Jesus was innocent, and did not care. There's a great contrast presented in the Bible between Judas, the religious leaders, and Jesus, who is sinless, perfect, and innocent. So I want to invite you for the next few moments just to to reflect on the innocence of Jesus. As we read this passage, verses 1 through 10, would you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read our main passage together? When morning came, so this is, this is, this is the day after Jesus has been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane at night. That's the morning it's referring to. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and to the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, it's not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel. And they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Let's pray together. Father, I pray today that you would help us to worship as we reflect on Jesus, as we see the guilt of these people, may it magnify in our minds his innocence. 
For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the Bible tells us about this man, Judas, who was so overcome with his guilt that he sentenced and executed himself. It says in verses 3 through 5 that we just read, it says, Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind, and he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and to the elders. Perhaps you remember, or perhaps you've never read it before, but Judas would go to the chief priests and the elders, and he would say, what would you give me if I turned Jesus over to you? And they agree upon this sum of 30 pieces of silver. And so Judas, having taken this bribe to betray Jesus, does so in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now he's overwhelmed with guilt as he realizes that Jesus, an innocent man, has been condemned. And so he goes before the priest in verse 4. He says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the, the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. Well, Judas, the traitor, had lived a life of theft and lying. I don't know how familiar you are with Judas, but the betrayal of Jesus, well, it was no surprise to Jesus. Judas was not a good disciple turned bad. Judas was never really a disciple. He was chosen, but he never put his faith in Christ. And John, the apostle John, who was also one of the 12, would describe Judas it says in John 12, 4 through 6, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, you know, it's a parenthetical statement there, saying, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii given to the poor? This lady had come and anointed Jesus with this very expensive perfume. And here's what John tells us about Judas. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas was, was the treasurer. And he was, he was skimming money from the offerings given to support Jesus' ministry. If we think about Judas, of the billions of people to ever live on this planet, th think about this for a moment. Not, not, not just the billions of the present, but all throughout history, the billions of people that would ever live on this planet, only 12 would be given the opportunity to be a disciple of Jesus during his earthly ministry. Only 12 would be called out as apostles. And Judas was given this opportunity. You and I can read Matthew Chapters 5 through 7, where it records the Sermon on the Mount. But Judas heard it from the lips of Jesus. Judas, no doubt, shared a meal with Lazarus before and after he died. He was there when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And a rotting corpse walked out of the tomb, alive. And well, 
He saw things that you and I can only read about. And yet, he wasted this opportunity. In John chapter 6, verse 70, that's what the Bible says about this man named Judas. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Jesus chose Judas, but Judas did not choose Jesus. The Bible makes it very clear that this was his entire life. And yet even Judas, a lying thief who was once possessed by the devil himself, even Judas knew that Jesus was innocent. So listen to what he said in verses 3 through 4 that we just read. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, now listen to what he says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Innocent blood. Judas had lived and worked with Jesus for three years traveling all over Israel and never once had Judas observed any sin in Jesus. The only people that were possibly closer and had a better view of the life of Jesus were those that inner three group of disciples, Peter, James, and John. But Judas, one of the 12, he traveled, he listened, he watched Jesus interact with women and rich people and religious people and heal the sick and raise the dead and feed the poor. He heard the sermons and the parables and then at night he sat around the fire with the other apostles as Jesus explained to them what he meant and what he was saying and why he was doing what he was doing. And yet in all of this, Judas never observed any sin in the life of Jesus. So when he sees Jesus is condemned, he goes and he confesses that he has betrayed innocent blood. Judas become so overwhelmed with guilt that he could not bear to live any longer. And so in verse 4, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They, they said, well, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And, and so he did. Judas would sentence himself and carry out his own sentence as he executed himself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. But Judas was so overcome with his guilt that he sentenced and executed himself. But the Jewish leaders were so consumed with envy and ambition, they didn't even care that Jesus was innocent. The Bible says there in verse 1, when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. When it says they took counsel, it means they all got together and they conspired. They made up their mind what they were going to do. They determined that Jesus was going to die. And the Bible makes it clear that the religious leaders were, were jealous of Jesus. 
Pilate, who was the Roman governor over that region, the Jews would deliver Jesus to Pilate for him to carry out the execution. They didn't have the authority to crucify Jesus. And so they would deliver him over to Pilate. And in Matthew 27, verse 18, listen to what it says about Pilate. For he, that, that is Pilate, he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Even Pilate knew the Jews were motivated by envy and jealousy. In John chapter 11, verse 47, listen, it describes a, a little behind-the-scenes meeting of the chief priests and the Pharisees. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, said, what are we to do? Talk, talking about what are we going to do with Jesus? So what, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And now listen to their fear, and it reveals their heart and their motivation. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. When the chief priests and the Pharisees saw the signs, they should have believed and followed Jesus. But instead, they were envious and jealous. And they were afraid that as Jesus gained more and more followers, that they would lose their place of power. The Jews had made up their mind and they would not be moved by facts or truth. Now, sadly, there are a lot of people today that are much like both Judas and the religious leaders. Judas had every opportunity in the world to follow Christ, to honor God, but he squandered it. The religious leaders, they made up their mind and they would not be swayed by any truth or any facts. There are many people today that have heard sermon after sermon after sermon that God through the Holy Spirit has pierced their heart and drawn them in. And yet they refuse to respond in repentance. Like Judas, they've had countless opportunities and they have squandered them. Others, much like the Jews, they have made up their mind what they want to be true and they will not be persuaded not by truth, not by facts, not by evidence. It's a sad place to be. So committed to your own path that you're willing to forsake God to pursue what you want. And yet ultimately, this was the life of Judas and the life of the religious leaders. Jesus was not crucified because he was guilty. He was crucified because Judas was a scheming, lying, greedy thief. He was crucified 
Because the Jews, the religious leaders, they wanted power, prestige, and wealth. And Jesus was interfering with their plan. The amazing thing about Jesus is that he knew all of their sin and he knew all of our sin. And yet he still willingly went to the cross to lay down his life on our behalf. The Jews, like many self-righteous people, majored on the minor and neglected what was of greater importance. This is what the Bible says in verses 6 through 8 about this blood money. But the chief priest taking the pieces of silver said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. Now, when he says it's lawful, I'm not aware of any Old Testament law, but it was, it was their law that they had added to the law. It was their or, what we call the oral tradition. They had read the Old Testament laws and then they had built other laws to kind of form a hedge of protection around breaking that law. And so they get together, they, they, they see this man who does miracles like no person has ever performed before. And they see the signs. And they're willing to crucify him. But they're not willing to put 30 pieces of silver into the treasury because, after all, it is blood money. The irony is, is that it was their blood money that they had given Judas to betray Jesus so that they might murder him by handing him over to the Romans and demanding his execution. Jesus would speak about their heart in Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 through 24. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. And yet neither, neither the greed of Judas nor the envy of the Jews was any surprise to God. In fact, Matthew tells us that what they did fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. It says in verse 9, then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. I, I want to point something out here, lest it become a stumbling block for you. Uh, God chose to intervene into human history at a certain time. And one of the reasons we struggle sometimes to understand the Bible is because that time is different from our time. We have different languages, different customs. There's different a history of interaction today. We do things differently, so sometimes we don't always understand what's happening. So if you uh, take this quote and you Google it to try to find where it's at in Jeremiah, you won't find it. And it's not because Matthew didn't know or Matthew misquoted it. We just have ways of saying things today that are different from the first century. We call those literary conventions. And so the literary convention of the first century was that when you were quoting authors, you only cited the first. That may sound strange to us today, but that's just the way that they did it. And you say, well, why didn't, why didn't he say Jeremiah chapter so-and-so, verse so-and-so, and, and Zechariah, which is where the rest of the quote comes from, chapter, that's just not the way that they did it. 
It's just like today if I was preaching on grace. And all of a sudden, I said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Well, no reasonable person would ever leave here and say, that was a hymn. He plagiarized it like it was his own words. No, it's, it's so familiar. I would expect all of us to know I was quoting that famous hymn. And Matthew looks at a passage from the prophet Jeremiah and a passage from Zechariah. And he's referencing both of them, but cites the first. And here's the point of both of these passages. They both describe a time when Israel reject their good leaders, Jeremiah, Zechariah, and now Jesus, and therefore suffer under the bad ones. Listen to what Isaiah would say about the death, the sacrifice, and the innocence of Jesus. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Notice that it is our griefs and our sorrows because Jesus, he was innocent. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Not his, our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all Jesus was innocent but friend he was the only innocent Judas was not innocent the chief priests were not innocent and you and I are not innocent either but you see that's why Jesus willingly suffered so that he might bring about our forgiveness. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. That is, he took on the penalty of our sin. He paid a debt that he did not owe so that you and I could receive a gift that we do not deserve. I pray that you believe that and will worship him. Let's pray together. Father, we give thanks for your son who had no reason to go to the cross except us. Thank you, God, that he paid for our sin that we might be forgiven. Lord, if there's a person in this room a person listening on the radio, a person watching on Facebook that has never understood or never believed. I pray today that they would have the faith to ask for forgiveness 
that Jesus made possible. God, I pray that you'd use this time right now as we respond to you. Use it for your honor and for your glory. For it's in Christ that we pray. Amen. There's a good chance today that much of what you heard is not new.